0: Well, if you've been with us uh, recently, by the way, my f- my favorite thing about drive-in is the horn honking, even more than the popcorn. It's so fun. Some of you said a year ago that when we came back in here, you were going to bring horns. No one did. I wish you had. It was so fun. So if somebody, uh, an air horn might be a little, you know, a little intense maybe in here. It could be scary. But anyway, it's my, my favorite thing. So you guys are just going to have to amen and hoot and holler a little bit to keep up with the drive-in folks. But if you've been with us recently or shake, yeah, <laughs> you're rattle. Uh, thank you. Um, so anyway, if you've been with us recently, you know that we're in this series called 10 Words, telling God's big story from cover to cover in just 10 words. And the point is that not only you can do it, Not only can you boil down God's big story into 10 words, but you can do it in the first three chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And if you want to have your Bible ready, because we're going to be going back there once again in just a minute. But let's see how we're doing so far, because we've got five words down already. Does anybody remember what the first word is? It's create. Say create. And what that means is that there is one true eternal creator God who has called into existence absolutely everything in the heavens and the earth out of absolutely nothing, and He created it all good and for His own glory. Second word it's Say bless. Say bless. Say it one more time with feeling. Bless. And blessed means that God has not only covered his creation, but intends to cover our lives with his favor. And that means the good things of life multiplied and deep down joy that cannot be shaken. Third word? Say rest. Rest. Once more with feeling, say rest. rest. Rest means that God intends that our lives would be a reflection of his life. And that is filled with meaningful, rewarding work, stopping to rest and making space to breathe and really live. Fourth word? Oh, we're starting to go a little soft there. The word is complete. Say complete. Complete Complete means that the good world that God created at the beginning of the story is the blueprint for the good world we will inherit at the end of the story except times in And that is a literal paradise in the presence of God where not only is everything good, but life is wonderfully complete. Last week we learned our fifth word. What's that? Say command. command. Command means that in this life God has given to us reasonable, understandable guidelines that by following them we might experience his very best and avoid the very worst. Now, you may already suspect that as we cross from this fifth word into the sixth word, that God's big story is about to take a hard turn. So far, we have the first man and the first woman living in a virtual paradise of God, experiencing the best in a perfect world and a wonderfully good life. To this point, their life is marked by nothing but God's provision for them and God's gracious commandment one single commandment. Can you imagine living life in a world where there was a total of one commandment that you had to keep track of? From any tree of the garden you may freely eat. And so God's command to them was marked first by freedom. This is what you can do. You may eat freely. It was a mark of God's provision. And again, think of the people in the ancient world specifically for the rest of your life. Eating every day is as easy as picking it off a tree. God's commandment always begins, here's what you are free to do. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. You deserve to know that there are natural consequences. There are brokenness and there is pain if you go down this road and God says, because I love you and because I want the very best for you, I'm telling you now, don't go there. Here's what you can do. Here's what you are not to do. And here's why this matters. Because I want you to experience my very best and I want you to avoid the very worst. But now God's big story is about to take a big turn because God's good provision and his gracious commandment is about to come face to face with Satan's big lie. And that is the sixth word, Satan lies. So last week, Jim Bull did such a great job of leading us through the word command. And and we really left that story And he said, doesn't it make sense if you were in their shoes, and I think it made perfect sense, would you not go and look at that tree? And that's kind of where we left it. So there is this special, exceptional tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it's in the middle of the garden, and just imagining them (coughs) as I would myself, looking at that tree. So God said, from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely. But from the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, because when you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, why is that in looking at this tree? This tree kind of looks like any other tree in the garden. I don't see anything exceptional about it. It's got fruit like any other tree. It smells like any other tree. Kind of feels like any other tree. What is it about this tree? From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, because when you eat from it, you will surely die. What is it about this tree? What's the big deal with the tree? It's chapter 3 and verse 1. It says this, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals than the Lord God made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, Oh, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, and the serpent said to the woman, now again, if you're reading this for the first time, I wouldn't be surprised if you'd say, hold on a minute, there's a talking snake in this story? Is this like the Jungle Book or something? What's with the talking snake? Now, actually, to the people who are living in the world of the Bible and understand this was meant both to compare with but to contrast with the mythical stories they had been told about the beginning of all things, in the mythical stories they had been told, those stories also had a serpent in them. So they actually would not have been surprised by a talking serpent. What they would have been surprised by is by what he said. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? So let's talk about the serpent for a minute. So one day, it would appear that Eve is checking out this one special, exceptional, but off-limits tree when suddenly a snake starts talking to her. I have so many questions about this. Was this a normal thing? Did all the animals talk perhaps then? Maybe it wasn't just this. Maybe all the animals were talking. I don't know. Is it possible that Eve was so new to planet earth, she didn't realize how weird this was that a snake started talking to her? Or maybe when we pick up the story, she's talked to the snake quite a few times before. And by the way, before I would be too critical of that, I have to remember, is it not true of you? Have you ever had a conversation with the devil when you knew better? Maybe she's not so different from us. Where did this ancient serpent come from? And and I use that word because in Revelation chapter 12, that is what he is called, the ancient serpent or the serpent of old. Revelation chapter 12 and verse nine, it says this, the great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. And he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So the Bible tells us that the devil or Satan was a great powerful angel created by God who rebelled against God and was kicked out of heaven by God along with his co-conspirators sometimes before the creation of the world. So Genesis chapter 3 is his first appearance in God's big story, but it will not be his last appearance. Now, I don't know why he chose to show up as a snake. I, I find it creepy. I would have preferred if he'd come as a bunny rabbit or an emu or something like that. But we should not be surprised that he disguises himself. Second Corinthians chapter 11 says that he is something of a master of disguise. So right here in Revelation chapter 12, the great dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil, Satan, all of these and more are used to describe the same person who it says leads the whole world astray. Now the name Satan means literally adversary and his name is his mission. Satan is the sworn enemy of God and everything that God stands for. So he hates. Satan hates God. Satan hates everything that belongs to God. Satan hates believers in particular. He hates the church of Jesus Christ in particular. I said to you sometime back that I don't know with this whole pandemic situation across the globe, I don't know exactly what Satan's position or what his aims are towards the global economy or to or to national politics or, or or to these great movements. These are kind of above my pay grade. But I know this much for sure. More than any of those things, he hates the church of Jesus Christ. He is a sworn enemy of the church of Jesus Christ. If the devil is real and if the church is real, then we are the manifestation on earth of his eventual doom. And so no matter what is happening through this pandemic, if he thought for a minute it could bring division, it it, it could bring a weakening, it, it could bring a dilution of the church of Jesus Christ, there is nothing that would delight him more because he hates the church, because it is the visible manifestation of God's kingdom in Jesus Christ upon the earth. Now, he hates God. He destroys. John 10.10 says, the thief, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus said, that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. So God's offer to you through Jesus Christ is life, and life that is full and abundant, never-ending, blessed And true, what Satan is trying to do is to steal, kill, and destroy, to steal that gift away from you or anyone, to kill the life that is inside of you, and destroy the good that has been offered to you. And what is Satan's angle in this? How does he bring about destruction? More than any other thing, Satan lies. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree of the garden? Satan lies. Now, here's just a practical theological point. When Satan's talking, how can you tell when he's telling a lie? In the words of Megan Trainer, because his lips are moving. You can tell he's lying if his lips are moving, because that's all he's about. Jesus said in John 8, the devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. He doesn't say there's partial truth in him. There's There's a grain of truth. There is no truth in him. When the devil lies, Jesus said, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and he is the father of lies. You literally know that whenever the devil's lips are moving, he's telling a lie. Because untruth is his nature. It is the character of who he is. Jesus said there is no truth in him. So what does Satan lie about? Well, he lies about God. To plant suggestions that God is anything but what he says he is. And God says that he is true, that he's holy, that he's righteous, compassionate, gracious, and utterly sufficient. He lies to plant suggestions that God is anything other than that. He lies about God's word to plant a seed of doubt that God's word is anything but unchangeably true and that his word will do anything except lead us into good. And he lies specifically about God's people. One of the things the Bible says in the book of Revelation is that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And he accuses them before our God day and night. Now listen to me on this. This is a very practical point. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and anyone makes an accusation against you before God, do you know what that is? That is literally a lie from the pit of hell. If they say you are condemned before God, if they say you are accused, you are guilty before God, that is a lie from the pit of hell because the Bible says, God's word says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter eight says, God's word says, we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter five. So if you by faith are under the blood of Jesus Christ and anyone in heaven or on earth, should try to bring an accusation before God that you are condemned, that you are guilty, that you are unworthy. That is literally a lie from the pit of hell. But it says he accuses us day and night before God. But it's a lie. And how do we know it's a lie? Because his lips are moving. It is a lie when he goes before God and says that you, as a believer, are condemned. So this is how the story goes then. God created, God intended everything to be good, and he gave us commands that would lead us into his very best, but Satan lies in a constant attempt to steal away what is good, to kill the life that has been offered, and to destroy everything that God has blessed. And when I say this is how the story goes, I mean this is how the story goes in Genesis chapter 3, but this is how the story goes every single day of our lives as well. Question. And it's an honest question that a thinking person would have. How important is he, I mean this ancient lying serpent guy, to God's big story? Because there are some people who would say, look, I love the Bible. I'm totally into the message. I like where all of this is going. I just can't sign on for the Satan part. It just seems kind of pre-modern to me. You know, the guy in the red jumpsuit, horns, pitchfork, I I tail. I, I just, I can't do that part. By the way, you don't have to sign on for a guy in a red suit and a pitchfork. That's not a Bible thing. That's a cartoon thing or something. But the Bible part the ancient serpent, devil, Satan. You literally cannot make any sense out of this story if you don't understand that Satan lies. And this story will not be over, by the way, all the way to the end until we get to the very end of the book, Revelation chapter 20, and Satan has told his last lie And he has stood against God for the last time. And finally, he has grabbed a hold of and he is locked up in torment forever. This story does not come to completion until Satan has told his last lie. This is essential to the story. The devil hates you and he has a terrible plan for your life. This is a sad but important reality that you've got to understand if you're going to understand the story that you are living in. And he wakes up every single morning dreaming of how to bring destruction into your life and to steal away the good things that God has planned for you. Now look, if you are strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, you can stand against the devil and his schemes. If if you resist him, you can make him flee from you. James James chapter 4 says, but make no mistake, he wakes up every single day inventing new ways to sell you a lie for the truth. And you can tell when he's lying because his lips will be moving. So back here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, that old serpent asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, understand, Satan has been doing this for a long, long time. He is an experienced hustler. He knows how to work the con a million different ways, but once you know a scam, you come to realize that in the end, he only has one basic lie that he is selling. His lie boils down to somehow convincing you that God can't be fully trusted. His lie, at its core, is that on some level you need to doubt God's word and you need to question his promises. In some ways, Satan is going to try to sell you that you cannot wholly depend on God to deliver the very best for your life. And it probably would be a good idea for you to start looking for alternative ways to get something better. For Adam and Eve, it was never a question of them believing that their life wasn't good. They knew their life was good. I mean, They were living in a literal paradise, for goodness sake. It was just this nagging feeling somewhere in the back of their mind that while they were experiencing stuff that was good, might there be something out there better that they were missing? See, God had told them that it was a matter of good versus bad, but over time they began to wonder if it might be a matter of good versus better. So the old serpent said to the woman in verse 1, Now, notice first that Satan's big lie starts off with an innocent enough theological question. Hey, Eve, I've got a question for you. Is it really true? And I'm asking for a friend. But did God really say that you aren't supposed to eat from any tree of the garden? You would do well to remember that Satan is a religious little devil. He is well acquainted with how religion works, and he knows that you want to do right, and for that reason, he's going to start subtle. I mean, it wouldn't work. Nobody starts a dialogue with the devil, intending to ruin their life, intending to bring profound pain into their existence. Hey, why don't you shoot this stuff up and become an addict? Hey, why don't you go out and torpedo your marriage? Hey, why don't you take a spin on this? Go bankrupt. It wouldn't work. Nobody starts out with the intent to ruin their life. That would suck the appeal out of it. The lie never starts that way. Whenever the tempter waves something, anything in front of our nose, and he knows you well enough, he knows me well enough to know what to dangle, but whenever he dangles something in front of our nose, it has to go with a tagline something like, it doesn't get any better than this. Just asking a question for a friend. Did God really say that? Then that is coupled with a slight twist to what God said. Eve is more than ready to defend God. Oh no, you've got it all wrong. It's not like that at all. We can eat from any of the trees of the garden. It's just that it's this tree here in the middle of the garden. We can't eat from this tree or touch it. Because if we do, we'll die. Except that if you look, God never said they couldn't touch it. God just said they couldn't eat it. Now, why do you think Eve would go out and start being even tougher than God was? It was his command. Why did she need to make it tougher? I wonder if sometimes we're like that too. I wonder if sometimes there isn't an advantage if his rules are tough, maybe even a little too unreasonably tough. Maybe it would it'd be a little bit more explainable if his expectations are just flat out impossible. Then I feel a little bit more justified in throwing in the towel and trying to live by them at all. And it's An innocent enough question, did God really say, you can't eat from any of the trees? Coupled with a slight twist on what God said, God said, don't eat or touch the tree in the center of the garden. And now comes the setup for the polite disagreement. Oh, Eve, come on now. You don't really still believe that, do you? You're a modern woman, Eve. This is the year 01. I mean, nobody believes that anymore. I mean, no offense here, but either you don't really understand God's rules or if you do, I've got to question God's motives on this because here's the truth. The truth is, and I mean no offense to God, but he knows very well that if you eat from this tree, the minute you do, you're going to see everything just like he does. And then you're not going to have to wait around for him to tell you what to do, but you'll be able to make up your own mind about what is good. You see, Eve, it's ultimately not a question of what's good, it's a question of what's good for you. So are you going to spend the rest of your life living by somebody else's definition of good, or are you going to have the courage to look deep inside, go with your feelings on this one, and start being the judge of what's right and good for you? Now, understand, Satan can work the con a million different ways, but at the end of the day, basically, he's always selling one basic lie. He's selling the lie that if you trust in God's promise and if you follow what he tells you to do, you are somehow going to miss out on something that is a little bit better. Ask the question. Stir in a twist, add in a polite disagreement, and then cook all of that for a little while over a change In focus, verse 6 it says, And when the woman looked at the fruit. Now you know where she's at. Because you've been there before. She's not looking at God anymore. She's not looking at the good things that God has provided for her anymore. She's not even looking at the snake anymore. She's staring at the fruit. And if you stare at the fruit for two or three minutes, you stare at it for two or three days, you stare at it for two and three months, you know if you stare at the wrong thing long enough, you are eventually going to do the wrong thing. It wasn't that there was anything wrong with all of the other trees in the garden. She's just fixated now on the wrong tree. And most often when we buy into the lie, it's something like that. It's not that your wife isn't good. It's not that your life isn't good. It's not that you don't have good provision in your life. It's not really that you've been terribly, fundamentally wronged irreparably in your life. You have challenged, but the truth is, all in all, your life is pretty good. But you somehow got it in your head that there might be something out there that is better. It stopped being good and bad, and it started being maybe good or something better. And in your wondering, you end up staring at the wrong tree. And it says, when she saw that the fruit was good for food, and when she saw that it was pleasing to the eye, and when she saw that it was desirable for gaining wisdom, she looked at it. She touched it. She smelled it. She began to imagine what it would taste like. She actually ate it when she saw. And unfortunately, we're out of time today, and so that's as far as we're going to be able to go into the story. So we'll just have to park it there. Oh, come on, what a rip-off! You can't bring us to that point in the story and stop it right there. What happens next? I think you got a pretty good idea what happens next. But the truth is, this is actually a very important place, believe it or not, to park the story, because this is an essential word to the big story of God. Because if you don't know that Satan lies, then you don't know what we are up against out there. Satan has been doing this for a long time. He's an experienced hustler. He knows how to work the con a million different ways. He's been watching you. He's been watching me. But once you know how his scam works, you'll realize he only has one basic lie that he's selling. Every single day, he's going to get up and try to convince you that God can't be trusted. And that you should doubt his word and you need to question his promises and you need to keep your options open for a potential different way that will get you a slight upgrade to what you're currently experiencing. In fact, perhaps before this next week is over, you're going to find yourself staring at a tree. Now, maybe it won't be a tree exactly, literally, but I, th- I think you'll know it when you see it. And when you do, I want you to remember something. That God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And for that reason, he will tell you nothing but the truth that by following it, you may be guided into his very best for blessing in life. And I want you to remember that the devil hates you and he has a terrible plan for your life. And for that reason, he's going to tell you nothing but lies in an attempt to get you to buy into his deception that will lead to brokenness and death and destruction. God loves you. Remember that. And that's why he tells you nothing but the truth. Satan hates you. Remember that. And that's why he's going to tell you nothing but lies. And remember, you'll always be able to tell when the devil's lying to you. Because his lips will be moving. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your great love for us. And that your intention always has been and is to this very moment that we would experience good and blessing, life that is abundant and full, that you have come in your Son, Jesus, that we might have life and have it abundantly. We are a people sitting here today who more than once have bought into the lie. We have questioned the validity of your word. We have questioned the unshakable nature of your promise. And we too have colored outside the lines. We too have opened up our options to look for possible other ways to get a hold of something a little bit better than what we feel we're getting. And we've all done it. We know what it is to grab for the lie. Some of us have been subtle about it and it would be hard for anyone else to even know the ways that we have, but we know that we have. Some of us have done it in big and dramatic ways landed on the pages of newspapers or the talk around town. But we all know what it is to look at the wrong thing too long until we actually end up doing the wrong thing. And we know that nothing but pain and brokenness and destruction comes from that. And yet we are frail creatures and we're prone to wander. So we desperately need the intervention of your Holy Spirit. We desperately need your grace protecting us because there is nothing but your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit to keep us back from the worst of sins buying into the lie. So Lord, we desperately need it. We need to get armored up today. We need to be strong in you, Lord, and in the strength of your might. We need the full armor of God. We need your encouragement and your strength to resist the devil, that he will run away. We need the wisdom that comes from on high so that we will cling to the truth and we will reject every lie because we know that it all comes from the same place. Give us the spiritual ears this week that will tune into the truth and that will tune out the lie. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.